Thank you, Tim. Christ is a wonderful rock indeed. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we thank and praise you. We thank and praise you for the lessons you teach us. We thank and praise you for the gifts that you give, you hand to us to hold on to, to strengthen us along this journey. Oh, gracious Father, give us ears to hear your lesson. Give us eyes to see and hands to hold tight and hearts to trust the wonderful signs that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the third Sunday of Easter. And so we are in a season where we celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And the question for us, as it was for the early disciples, is, is, so now what? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, so now what? I imagine that's the question the early disciples faced so long ago. These disciples had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Thomas had touched Jesus' side. This is good news. But now what? Think about the consequences for these disciples. They would now have to do the impossible. How on earth are seven disciples, along with four others, how are they going to, to accomplish great things in this world of religion? How are they going to stand against the great religious institutions of the Roman Empire? How are they going to compete with the sophisticated Greeks in the marketplace of ideas? How will this little band of disciples bring the gospel to the ends of Israel, much less the ends of the world? Oh, Jesus, you rose from the dead. (laughs) But now what? How in the world are we going to go to the ends of the earth? What a daunting task. No wonder Peter went fishing. Whenever any of us get overwhelmed, we turn to those activities that bring comfort. Peter was a fisherman. He went fishing. I, when I'm overwhelmed, I go to 7-Eleven, buy a bag of peanut M&Ms and a gigantic Coke. (laughs) It's no joke. If you see me with that combination, you know I'm overwhelmed. Peter was overwhelmed, so he went fishing. He was fishing for comfort, but he didn't find comfort when he went fishing. Instead, he caught a lesson. In verse 3, we we read that the disciples fished all night, and they caught nothing. Ken Baden has a, a, a sticker on the back of his truck, and you've probably seen this. A bad day fishing is better than a, a good day of work. And that's good unless fishing is your work. And then that's not a good thing. And for these disciples, it was not a good thing that they fished all night and caught nothing. And I love what happens next because Jesus comes to them and he gets straight to the point. He asks the one question, and Jesus is just like that, to ask the one question that you don't want asked. And so his question was, children, have you caught anything? And the reply is fantastic. No. That's it. No. And wives, you can understand this, right? Have you ever asked your husband a question and their reply is simply, no? Did you get the promotion? No. 
Did you solve the problem? No. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about it. And that's the reply. Did you catch anything? No. <laughs> I feel so bad for those disciples. How are they going to be fishers of men? That's something they don't know. When the thing that they do know, fishing for fish, they can't even do. Talk about being overwhelmed. I remember early in my ministry here, I, I attended a church growth seminar. At the time, we had about 45 people at the church. We'd been growing, but you know how can we speed this along? So I attended a church growth seminar at, of all places, Disneyland. And this seminar was about using Disneyland's strategies in order to grow a church. As I've reflected on this over the years, I've suddenly realized now I know why there are so many Mickey Mouse churches out there. <laughs> but at the time, when I was there, I bought into it like any good conference or seminar, and so I rushed back to the church, went into the church office, and I just started writing down all my plans. All the plans, all the things that we were going to do to make the church grow. Each line I wrote, I decided I got a little more depressed. Each line. Because each line I realized, this is a tiny church. We couldn't do these things. There's no way to accomplish what they were suggesting. How in the world could we, we do these things? I was afraid that if I went on vacation for a week, I'd come back and there wouldn't be a church. I mean, how could we do this? And so I just wept. I wept in my office. And probably if, if I was a man of good faith, I would have prayed, Lord, for strength. But instead, I was in my office and I just said, Lord, I give up. I can't do this. I quit. There's no way, Lord, that I know how to... I know how to have adults be converted so that we would baptize them. Lord, I can't do this. And so I, I was ready to give up. And the only reason I didn't give up was, A, because no one was around for me to give a letter of resignation. <laughs> and, B, I knew that I still had to pay the rent, so I needed to just stay. But Bless you. I was ready to give up, though. I imagine for the disciples, they, too, were ready to give up. They knew about fishing, and they couldn't even fish. How could they be fishers of men? They needed a miracle. They needed God to break in to their doubt and despair, and that's what God did. In verses 6 and 7, we read, Jesus came up to them, asked a question. Then he said to them, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, that's a foolish request. They fished all night. These boats aren't enormous. It's not like the fish were hiding on the right side of the boat. Even more, it's the daylight. And the nets back then, I found out, are visible. And so you fished at night so the fish wouldn't see the nets. So now it's the daytime. The fish can see the nets. You're just casting over the right side of the boat. I mean, it's not that far. That's foolish. But they listened anyway. They threw the nets. And they caught so many fish, they were unable to haul in the nets because of the large number. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
they knew is the Lord. As important as that catch was, that's not what's so important. It's, it's, it's that this event revealed a lesson to them about the Lord. It revealed to them it was the Lord and revealed a lesson about the Lord. And the, the facts are, when you read this, John 21, you have to think of John 6. Because only in two places in the Gospel of John is the Sea of Tiberias mentioned. Here, and then John 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000. Only time at the, at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, when he fed the 5,000, Jesus asked a child, a lad in Greek, in this case, he goes up to the disciples, he calls them children or lads in the Greek. Um, even more, when he fed the 5,000, what did he feed them? Bread and... What was he doing then when they went to the shore and they ate by the charcoal file? They, they received bread and... Right? So there's a combination. There's even more. John 6, at the end of that feeding, Jesus says to them, he, said, he says... Um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's Hel- Helkian in Greek. Later, right before Jesus died, John t- chapter 12, he used the same word to identify himself. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw Helkian, all people to myself. And then now John 21, see Tiberius, says that they received so many fish they are unable to draw or haul Helkian, the fish, because it was so abundant. Now, this is important because the miracle of the catch was really meant to teach the disciples a lesson. To these disciples who didn't know, um, who were filled with despair, didn't know how they were going to catch fish, Jesus was simply teaching them this. I am the fisherman. I will do the catching. I will do the drawing. You, my disciples, are the net in my hand. I will do what God says to them. And you are the net used by me to draw the fish to me. It's not your responsibility to do the fishing. You're the net used by me to gather and draw all men to myself. That's how you are fishers of men. Used by God. Used to do the impossible. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's a lesson he wanted them to learn. It's a lesson all of us can learn. And I learned that lesson too. Because shortly after I had prayed that prayer where I was ready to give up, I did not know how in the world we could ever baptize an adult in this church. I didn't know how we'd convert them. About a week later, Carolyn Pagano walks into the church. You didn't know this. I don't know if Carolyn knew this. She walked in the church. She wasn't raised in this church, or wasn't raised really going to church. Walked in the church. We had a baptism of a child. And after that service, Carolyn said to me, that was lovely. I want to be baptized. No instruction. Just, I want to be baptized. I said, okay, well, let's teach about it. And, And we did, and shortly thereafter, she was baptized. And then later that year, Jenny came up to me, working as a youth director, and said, I have a couple of high school students. Can you talk to them about baptism? Okay, talk to them about baptism. And then three of them were baptized within two weeks, and another one wanted to rededicate his baptism, um, reaffirm his baptism. Well, it gets better. There's a man named Troy Wynn who's driving by the church one day, stops in, comes to my office and said, Are you the pastor? Yes. 
I like to be baptized. Okay, I like to be baptized. And so I baptized him. And then yet again, on Ash Wednesday of this year, we have our service. And we do the service, we're done. And George, and many of you have heard this, but not all of you. George says, I need to talk to you, Pastor. Okay. Sit down. And George says, Pastor, I need to be baptized. Okay, well, when do you want to be baptized, George? I want to be baptized now. Well, George, the choir's practicing. You should invite your family and friends. Let's, let's push it back. He said, no, Pastor. I see water bottles right here. <laughs> Baptize me now, please. And so we walked into the church sanctuary, stopped choir practice, and the choir will always remember this. They were here, and they are so beautiful, and they watched George get baptized. And they cried, and they wept, and it was, it was wonderful. Now, the point of this is that there's nothing that I did in any of these things. There is no strategy of how to baptize. You know, we're going to send this flyer out, and suddenly they're all going to get baptized. It was none of that. I didn't pray for wisdom on how to get baptized adults. I gave up. <laughs> and God said, that's exactly where I want you. So that it's not about you. Because you're not the fisherman. You're the net in my hand, used by God to draw all people to myself. That's the lesson Jesus was teaching those disciples that day. They learned a powerful lesson that day. We could learn such a lesson. But there's a funny thing about lessons, and you know this. Anyone who's ever taught, you tend to forget the lessons that you learn. <laughs> this is the third time Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. You'd think once would be enough, but they forgot. And so you think second time would be enough, but they didn't quite get it. Third time he needed to appear. In fact, he had appeared seven times to them before ascending to heaven. They needed to get it. He needed to give them something more than a lesson. And so in this passage, we see two gifts that he gave them that they could hold on to for the rest of their lives as they went through their ministry. For the rest of their lives, there were two, lessons, two gifts that Jesus gave them on that day. And the gifts were centered around that charcoal fire. And the first gift that Jesus gave them was the gift of absolution. In verse 9, we read that the disciples saw a, a charcoal fire. Now, that word charcoal fire, there's only one other place in all the New Testament where a charcoal fire is mentioned. Do you know where? Peter, where he denied Jesus, was by a charcoal fire. He denies Jesus three times. What does Jesus do in this chapter by a charcoal fire? He restores him three times. Peter, do you love me? I do. Do you love me? I do. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Now, did Jesus need to hear Peter say, I love you? No. Jesus knows Peter's heart. But Peter needed to say those words. Peter needed to, to speak them out loud. And that's how the absolution and, and confession and absolution works too. God doesn't need us to confess our sins. God knows our sins. It's not like God sits up there and goes, oh, wow, you really did that? That surprised me. Wow, you're much worse than I thought. 
He doesn't need us to confess our sins, but he knows that we need to confess our sins. Why? Because when we confess our sins, it draws us out of hiding. It brings us out, and once we're out in the open, then God gets to do the best thing in the world. And that's not squash us, and that's not saying, oh, you're so bad, or I'm going to get me new disciples. Instead, when we're brought out in confession, when we're honest, God gets to say, I love you. I forgive you. Your sins are no more. God invites us to confess just so he can lavish grace and mercy and absolution upon us. How many of you saw that ER, the recent ER TV show about the man who needed confession? I don't watch this, but I saw it on the line, so someone pointed to me. Here's a man dying. He's, He's filled with sin. He's filled with guilt, and so he calls a local chaplain to come in. This chaplain is a typical mainline denominational chaplain comes in and simply says, how are you feeling? This man's dying. Um, what, would you like, uh, what would you like, you know, me to say? And, and the person goes, well, I need absolution. Well, what kind of absolution do you need? And, and well, because of my sin. And, and, and the, the, the man says, do you even believe in God? And she goes, well, yeah, there's many expressions of God. and I mean, it's just going around this way. And finally, this man who's dying says, look, get me a real chaplain who believes in a real God, who believes in a real heaven and earth, who believes in real sin, and who believes in a real absolution, because that's what I need. I don't need to know how I feel. I need someone to say I'm forgiven. That's what I need. Chaplain ran off. We need real forgiveness and absolution. In fact, a number of years ago, a young woman came into my office and explained to me that she was uh, um, raised in a Christian home, but because of circumstances in her life, she had recently um, started um, in prostitution. And when she said that, she says, I'm a prostitute. And she just broke. Absolutely torn apart and I thank God for these words because when she says I'm a prostitute I said to her no you're not you're a child of God Jesus Christ died on the cross for you your sins are forgiven you are forgiven you are a child of God The absolution put her back together on that spot. Why does God want us to confess our sins? So he can put us back together. And that's what he was doing at that charcoal fire. Why? Because they had much to confess. And they would have much to confess. Confess it, Jesus says. So I might lavish forgiveness upon you. What a wonderful gift. But he wasn't done with those gifts because he gave more. The second gift he gave to them was the meal itself. Now, what's interesting is that when they were fishing, he was cooking fish. And this is important because many people go, he said, bring your fish to me. And so people go, oh, they must have brought the fish that they caught and then they cooked it, which would have been a terrible mission statement, right? You go catch the fish and God's going to cook them. I mean... I, if you, if that's not what happened. It, it's a different Greek word. 
Jesus was cooking fish while they were catching it. A different kind of fish. He was cooking small fish. They caught real fish, big fish. Um, Jesus says, bring the fish to me, not to cook them, but to show them what Jesus had done. But after showing them, Jesus then gives them the little fish and the bread. He gives them the meal. And he invites them. He says, come and have breakfast. And I love what verse 12 says. It says, none of the disciples dared ask him who you are, for they knew it was the Lord. Now, this is important because it's in the breaking of the bread that Christ is revealed. To the disciples on the road to Emmaus, did they understand the resurrected Jesus? Could they identify with him? They didn't know who he was. They walked with him, and they didn't realize it was Jesus. But with the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened. In the breaking of the bread, our eyes are opened. We see Jesus in a very clear way that we have a God who's willing to enter into bread and wine for us, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. About three months ago, Danny Thomas, and many of you know him, Danny, um, he's about six or seven years old. He has autism, and he comes here at the service, and he's not here today. But Kathy brought Danny forward for communion because we didn't have childcare that day. And there he is, and he's sitting there at the table, and Rail, and I'm giving communion to everyone, and a six-year-old with autism, you know, I just was ready to pass over. I gave him the, a blessing. As I passed by him, he stuck out his hand, and he says, give me Jesus. <laughs> Flesh and blood did not reveal that to him. <laughs> what was I to do, right? Will he ever, he hasn't had confirmation class. <laughs> Here you go. You want Jesus? Here he is. That's what the breaking of the bread did. That's what the gift of the Lord's Supper is. When we're filled with sin, filled with doubt, when we wonder if we can even possibly believe anything, Jesus calls us to the rail. Sinner, come forward. And there are the words, this is the body of Christ, God eternal, almighty. This is the body of Christ. He's entered into this bread for you. Sinner that you are, who's loved by God, filled with all your doubts, for you, take and eat. For you. Oh, what a wonderful giver of gifts our Lord and Savior is. On this day, he taught his disciples a wonderful lesson. He's the fisherman. We are the net knowing that we forget that lesson all the time, he gave the gift of absolution, the Lord's Supper. There might even be a place in there about baptism. And so back to our original question that we began with. Now what? Today we break ground on a new sanctuary. The temptation is to be overwhelmed by such a daunting task. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to fill it? Jesus' answer to us this morning is the same as his answer to the disciples. Let me draw the fish. You are the net in my hands. And if you still doubt, we'll receive the holy absolution and receive the Lord's Supper. And know that God Almighty enters into bread and wine 
for you. For the forgiveness of sins. Receive those gifts so that you could, so that we could say with that beloved disciple, it is not us, it is the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.